You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. It's good to see my good friend Jeff here today. Jeff Ainsworth. And uh, Jeff, you uh, will remember when we were in Zimbabwe, there was none of these contraptions and we just had to shout really loud to be heard. They used to say to, of Jeff that he was Murume Jikuru. And I think he asked me what that meant, and I said, that means you are a big man. And uh, so I wanted him to eat a lot of Nyama Yehuku, which was chicken, uh, a lot of Mubairo, which was potatoes, and I shoveled some of that food that I had, chicken that tasted like uh, chicken jerky, and I handed it off to Jeff, but uh, it's good to see you. Well, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. It said, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, who, who will roll the stone away? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. He was sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go now, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to no one because they were afraid. Let's pray again together. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. Lord, this, is, this service has been all about Jesus. Every song that we've sung, uh, the dance that has been performed, dear Lord, every part of it has been to lift up the sweet, precious Lord and Savior of men and women who have repented of their sin and invited you in. We pray, dear Lord, now we pray for the messenger. Lord, cleanse me and forgive me of any thought, any deed, any word that would anyway dishonor the blood of Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, cover me with that blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a clear word that, Lord, I can be used by you. Not, dear Lord, for my glory, but for yours. And we pray, dear Lord, that our lives are forever changed in this service. And we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I remember years ago when I was um, when I was in Zimbabwe, I got a call one day from a place called Chitanguiza from a pastor. I knew his voice when he began to speak, and he told me, he said, there's been a death in the church, and we need you to come 
and help us with the funeral. Well, you know, I have a Western mentality, so I thought to myself, well, you know, all I've got to do is just go and round up the people, and we'll go make arrangements at the funeral home, and we'll plan the service, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the funeral. Well, when I got there, I was faced with an elderly African man, a sukuru, which means grandfather, and they said, we've now got to prepare the body. I said, what? They said, well, we've got to prepare the body. I said, what about the funeral home? And they smiled and said, ah, Baba, Reno Duro, Mungatsiki Sabohere, Baba, it's too expensive, we cannot afford it. I said, I'll pay for it. Oh, Baba, we don't do it that way here. So uh, we prepared the body, we got it ready, and I said, do we need to call the, uh, to, be a, uh, to see about a call? Oh, we, we have made a coffin, it is here. So they went back and they brought this wood box out. And they said, well, I said, well, how will we get the body to the cemetery? They said, ah, Baba, your Toyota Venture, that's how we'll get the body to the, you know. I said, we're going to load that coffin up in my vehicle. And they said, yes, Baba. And so I had a coffin and about 14 Africans in the back of my vehicle heading to the cemetery. When I got there, it's a sad thing there in Chittanguiza, Jeff, Brian, some Alan, some of those that have been there. It's a sad thing because people actually, because death is so prevalent there, they actually queue up, line up, and each funeral party is waiting for their time to go and to bury the dead, and they have a long line of dug graves that are made ready. I learned what it was as these women are thinking about preparing a body. You know, one writer said this, he said, godly women who had watched the cross were leaving their homes in the dark. Listen to this next three words. Sorrow wakes early. Isn't that true? When your heart is heavy, you wake up early. Sorrow wakes early. They had a mission to perform, to wash and perfume his broken face. The impulse came from great love because of the lapse of time in the Middle Eastern heat would assure that the body was in decomposition, in decay. Their action would be no utility to their dead master, but it was what their hearts needed. I wrote down there when I read this, I said, we see that there was not the slightest belief, not the slightest idea of the resurrection. They were there to anoint a dead body and to say their goodbyes. You know, I remember one time we had a death in our church. It was a special needs little boy who, while playing in the backyard, the tent had collapsed on him and he had suffocated and he had died. And I remember meeting this family like I would often do and I would go to the funeral home because sometimes people are so devastated by a death, they just simply cannot function, they can't operate. And so I went with this family of this special need little boy and I sat with his parents as they were making arrangements and they went through it. I knew they didn't have the money. But they had picked out what was a mediocre coffin. They had spent everything that they had. And then the funeral director looked at them in that room and he said, now, and I had walked with them picking out the coffin. It had been every part of the service. And they said, now we need, to, we, need to get a, we need to get a vault. They had expended everything they had. They had no more money. And they said, we cannot afford a vault. And the mom began to cry. 
And at that point, I got up, stepped out for a moment, called one of our deacons, Mark, uh, Jeff Lovern. And I said, Jeff, this is what we face. Jeff said, we'll take care of it. I walked back into that room and I said, the vault is taken care of. This church several times has paid for the funeral expenses of people that are in need. You know, the thing is, these women went to anoint a body. They went to prepare it. Listen to this. I thought this was so good. This is kind of a word I felt like, felt like came from the Lord. Jesus had made prearrangements with the Father. You know, sometimes when somebody dies, they've made their prearrangements, and it's always refreshing when you go. But in this case, Jesus Christ had made prearrangements. They just did not know that. I wrote a couple of observations here. Number one, sorrow. When we are hurting, sorrow can cloud the promises of God. Sometimes when you and I get so low, when we feel so defeated, our sorrow can actually cloud the promises of God. We lose sight. Number two, sometimes we lose sight of the promises of God when we're in pain. And that was these women now, there's three quick points here. Number one, these women were witnesses. If you look back, look back to Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 40. Here we are at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him. They had cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him, that is Jesus, were there in Jerusalem. They were all there and they were witnessing what had happened. These women had witnessed the death of Jesus Christ. And it was a horrific death. And so they're broken. In verses 45, chapter 15, verse 45 through 47, it said, when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, he's talking here about Pilate, and this is Joseph of Arimathea. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, placed it in a tomb. It was his family tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now, look at the last part of that. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So these women had witnessed everything. They had watched Jesus beaten. They had watched Jesus nailed to a cross. They had stood there and watched him as he died. They had watched Joseph of Arimathea take down the body of Jesus and now they were there because the Passover was over and they were there to anoint a dead body. I love what the writer said. They were there to wash and perfume his broken face. Isn't that powerful? These women had invested their lives, their materials, and now they were there to anoint and to mask the cover of death. John MacArthur said this, he said of these women, he said they loved him, they adored him, they served him, they worshipped him. They are caught in horrific sadness, wrenching, gut-wrenching, agonizing sorrow. Now listen to his next statement, this isn't just a friend, this is the one they believed their salvation rested in and he was dead. 
One writer said it's inconceivable what their agony was like, and they were determined to ensure that Jesus' body would be given dignity and respect. And because of that, they were there to anoint and prepare his body for burial. Let me give you a life-changing moment. When I was a missionary in Zimbabwe, some of you have heard this story. Zimbabwe news showed what was going on in Somalia. I don't know if it was if it was whatever situation, it was in Mogadishu, Somalia. Our American troops were in the middle of crossfire. They were unable to, to escape. And one of our troops' dead body was on the news because the Somalians, these rebels, were taking his dead body and laughing and throwing it back and forth and kicking it on the ground. It was a life-changing moment for me because I was there with other missionaries. And in that moment, we men begin to stand. We naturally begin to stand to our feet as we were watching this scene unfold. And finally, there came that moment that we were so filled, so filled with anger and wanting respect for this American soldier that we begin to look at each other and we begin to try to figure out how we could leave Zimbabwe and go to Somalia and rescue that soldier's body. There's something about the anointing and the preparing and the respect of one who's died. I love what Acts 8-2 says. It says when Stephen was martyred, it said devout, devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. My dad has said something, then he says, son, you remember this. And my dad will be 90. He says, when I die, he said, I want men of God to carry my coffin. I've often told Sheila, I told her recently, I've not been feeling good. I said, Sheila, when I die, if Midian can bring him here to be a part of preaching my funeral. And I said, nothing would honor me more than men like Daniel and Russell to carry my coffin. You see, all four Gospels tell us this, that the tomb had been secured. It had been secured by the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. They did not want anybody to steal the body. They wanted to put this thing to rest and end it. The Roman government had not only been a part of this, but they had also put the stone in place, sealed it with the Roman seal of the government of Rome, of Caesar's seal, and then they placed a Roman guard there to ensure that he would remain in the tomb. These women had witnessed all of this, but these women were also worried. If you look down there in verse 3, it's a strange thing. You can just picture this scene. They, they're on their way to the tomb. They've got all the stuff to anoint Jesus' body. And in that moment, they look at each other and say, did you cut the coffee pot off? I think I left the coffee pot on. Did you cut the stove off? Did you cut the thermostat down? You ever done that? You ever been, have you ever left and, 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 and you get just a little ways down the road and, and maybe your wife will look at her husband. Husband will look at the wife. Did you cut the coffee? No, but if the house burns down, we've got insurance. 
bless Sheila's heart, she's married to a man. When he gets ready to go, nothing is going to turn him back. And that's about the answer that I would give her. And, and this, these were these women. These women are worried. They're not only witnesses, but they're worried because in their haste, in their grief, leaving in the dark of the early morning, they all of a sudden look at each other and say, what about the stone? We forgot. It'd take a, it takes several good strong men to move that stone. That stone literally rolled down in, a, in like a trough, and when it rolled to a certain point, it would drop off and settle in, and it would seal in order to keep that coffin, to keep that tomb secure. But they had left so quickly, so broken, they were sitting there going, who's going to? We forgot. Third point. It's no longer the concern over the stone that blocked the tomb because they're not only worrying, soon they're worshiping. You ever notice that? You ever been in one of those dark times in your life when you were just struggling to keep your head above water? You were just, people would say, how are you doing? You just say, I'm... I'm surviving. We met Sheila and I met with a family. They're not members of this church, but they often listen to our podcast. This woman has cancer, very serious cancer. This woman is frail and dark and broken. And she's in the middle of a struggling marriage. She couldn't be much lower. Beautiful woman. But the disease of cancer has has hit her very hard. She's in the middle of large doses of chemotherapy. But have you ever been there and all of a sudden to be low and a ray of hope come? Have you ever been at a dark time when you're in your life when you were worrying about something and all of a sudden the answer's there? I mean, just immediately. And you move from worrying to worship. Well, in verse 4, it says this, but when they looked up, now watch this, they saw that this, this stone, the obstacle, the thing that had stood in their way, the thing that they were so worried about, they saw that it was no longer there. It was large, but it was rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young, men dre young man dressed in white robe. He was sitting on the right side. They, they were alarmed. They encounter a young man. This is an angel. He's dressed in white. Some said this could have been Jesus. There's all kinds of speculation here. And the Bible says they said that they, uh, he's on the right. They, they, they're alarmed. In the New Testament, this is the only time this word is ever used. It means that they are filled with fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but I would be too. I remember one time I was driving, working with the ambulance service, and it was a Friday night. We went to pick up a man. He looked like an NFL football player. His car had wrecked. He had turned over in the middle of the night. He was hanging upside down in this car. We were able to get him out of this car. We, were, we got him on a stretcher. We, he was dead, so we were going to take him to the funeral home. And so on a Friday night, a lot of times your ambulances are just passing each other. They're just moving in and out. 
And so here we were, I was in the driver's seat, my buddy got out to go and to get in another ambulance because we had another run to make, and another guy, he was on call, and he finally got there, and he got into the passenger side, and I forgot to tell him that we were where we were going or that we had anybody in the back. So he's been woken up out of sleep, he jumps into the passenger side, he sits down, and, and, and about that time I take off out of the ambulance service, he thinks we're going on another run, when about this time this six foot four, about 280 pound man rolls off that stretcher and flips down there on the floor and you can see his head and hands flop back between us and I thought my friend was getting ready to experience a personal rapture. I literally thought he was going to open the door and jump out of the van because I forgot to tell him. These women, this New Testament word here said that they were filled, they were terrified. In Luke 24, 4, it says that this figure gleamed like lightning. And I love what this angel says or what this, this messenger of heaven says. He says, Egyro in the Greek, Egyro. It's a single word, but you know what that word means? He is risen. One word in the Greek, Egyro. He's alive, he's risen. Jesu, as we say in Zimbabwe, Jesu Arimu Penyu. Jesus, he is alive. Arkenyu said this, he said, this one brief word announces the greatest miracle that was ever wrought on earth, Egyro, one word. That one word separates us from the Buddhist, from the Muslim, from Judeo belief systems. Listen, it separates us from everyone. He is alive, he's risen. Single word separates Christianity from all the religions of the world. You know, I wrote this down. Skeptics do not argue that the tomb was empty. They just argue as to how it was made empty. Some would say the Jewish leaders, but the Jewish leaders were, they were adamant that no one should steal the body. The Roman government had sealed it. His followers, they were scared to death and it took off running. They were hiding. And the resurrected Lord had to search them out to find them. I wrote this down, apologetics, those who speak on apologetics say we may die for a lie, but we will not die for a lie we know is a lie. And the church is sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs. Every single one of his followers all through history have died tragic deaths, and they die right now. In every country of the world, in the most extreme Muslim world, listen, there are underground churches, groups that are meeting at great threat to their life. I just read here recently, there's more martyrdom today than there's ever been in the history, the 2,000-year history of the church. I love the old hymn that says, You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. But let me give you some life lessons. I go back to where the, the, the women were married, uh, were worried, and I, and I say, and, and I wrote this down, they were worried, listen to this, about an obstacle, a problem that God had already taken care of. Is that you today? Are you worried about a problem right now that God has already taken care of? 
I thought, how often do you and I spend all of our time worrying about an obstacle, looking out in this unknown future and worried about something that God said, listen, I've already taken care of it. And you know what God is saying? I just want you to walk this out. You know, I thought to myself, imagine had these women turned back. Imagine had their worry got so, had gripped them so much that they, that they didn't walk out their faith. Listen, they were worried. They were saying, listen, we can't move the stone. But let me tell you this much. Look this way. But they kept walking. They kept trusting. They kept believing in God, even when reason and everything in their flesh said, turn around and go home. Give it up. Wait some other time. You'd, hey, listen, they didn't even go back and get the disciples. They didn't go ask Peter and John to come. You know, number two, listen, a life lesson. They were carrying things they did not need. They were on a journey to the tomb and they were weighed down with stuff that, that it did not, that God did not require. They had expended money, time, and effort. They were carrying things. And I wrote down here, how many of us in this room are carrying a life? We're going through life with the baggage of sin, of failures in our past, of unforgiveness, of guilt, of worry. When Jesus Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden, give me that load, I'll take care of it. But some of us, we go through life and we're weighed down with stuff that Jesus said, you don't need that on this journey. Why don't you give that to me? I'll take care of it. You know, I wrote this down and Sheila, I wanted to tell you so bad. Sheila and I, we spend time drinking coffee in the morning, reading the Bible and talking, especially on the days we're not leaving the house early. And Sheila, I wanted so much to tell you this one, but I thought about these women. They have all the ointments and they have spikenard. They have the different ointments to anoint a dead body. They're not, they're not embalming the body. They're just covering decay. And I thought, what did they do with this stuff when they got to the tomb and saw he was resurrected? I kind of pictured them. You ever go to Walmart to take something back? You ever go to Walmart to take something back? I mean, you know, used to. I don't know about you, but, you know, they, they would stop you and, uh, hang on there a minute, uh, I need to put a sticker on that. And, they, and you, you need to turn and go straight to the return exchange, you know. They would send you there, and then you'd wait in line with everybody else. And then you'd look at this figure, and they would, they would say, why are you returning this? So I thought to myself, I thought about these women. They had went out into the market, and they had bought all this stuff. And listen... The truth of the matter is, is that Christ didn't ask for it. He didn't need it. So they were caring. They had spent money, expense, and time doing something that was not needed. But I thought to myself, imagine when they went to the market and they began to go back to those booths and they were trying to return the spikenard. I mean, you know, this stern voice looks at him and says, why are you bringing this back? Has this been opened? You haven't opened this package, have you? Is it still sealed? Do you have your receipt? And then uh, again, why are you returning your spikenard? And all of a sudden, Mary looks at Mary Magdalene and Salome looks, and they all start giggling. They say, because we don't need it. He's alive. 
And they probably reached across and took the face of the person in the market and said, uh, we don't need it anymore. He's alive. How many of us are carrying stuff throughout our life that God said, listen, give it to me? You don't need that. Number three, they were going to a tomb and they were seeking solace in what was dead. They did not need the ritual of anointing a dead body. They didn't need the relic of their memory or their remembrance. What they needed was a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what some of you need today. Some of you in this room, you, you, you came today and, and, and you, you did this ritual, but deep down Christ is speaking to your heart, His Holy Spirit, through the song service, through this dance, through every part. Christ has been speaking to you and He's saying to you, Give it all to me. I know you're hurt. I know you're wounded. I know you've made mistakes. I know you've failed in relationships. I know you lost that job. I know you're in financial debt. I know you flunked out of school. I know you don't feel like you got a friend in the world. I know your marriage is falling apart. I know where you are. And Jesus Christ says, give it to me. Just give it to me. I don't want you to carry this no more. I want you to stop it. I want you to trust me. You're worried about what God has already taken care of. And you just need to walk out your faith. This morning you're carrying stuff and things and articles and past and sin and failed relationships Whatever it is, you're carrying this stuff. And the reality is, is that Jesus says this. He said, give it to me. Take my yoke. You know what he said about his yoke? He said, it's easy. There was a time when our worship leader was in Pensacola. He was down there for training. And uh, a young man was brought in who had been killed in a car accident. Well, he came in alive, but he was pronounced dead. A dad was there, if I remember the story correctly, the dad was there. The doctors and nurses left out of the ER and said, we've done all we can do. He's straight lined. He's dead. All the monitors said he was dead. The dad came in there, they called for the chaplain, and Chaplain Jeffrey went in there and stood by the dad. And the dad looked at him at one point and he said, I, I know it might be strange, but would you pray for my son? Jeffrey put his hand on the man's chest and began to pray, he and that father. When all of a sudden that door swung open, the doctors and the nurses came in and said, what's going on in here? His heartbeat started back. He's not breathing. And we're seeing it on the monitor outside. Let me ask you something this morning. And we're going to pray in a moment. In fact, go ahead and stand. Let me ask you something this morning. First of all, are you worried and filled with anxiety and fear over something that God has taken care of? 
You know, the Bible says, do not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. What's God telling you to do? He's saying simply this. He's saying you walk this out. Whatever you're in right now, whatever you're worried, whatever has filled you with anxiety, everybody look this way. What's, the, what's one big fear we all have? Is death. You know what Jesus says about death? Don't worry about it. I've already taken care of it. Been there, done that. You ever had somebody look at you, been there, done that? You know, it kind of irritates you sometimes when you're worried about something. Somebody says, oh, listen, I've been there, done that. You know what Jesus would say to you and I? If he walked in here right now, he'd say, fear not. That's what he'd say. He said that all the time. And he'd say, listen, death. Oh, don't worry about death. Been there, done that. I'll walk you through that moment when the time comes if you've repented of your sin and given your life to Jesus Christ. Secondly, let me ask you this. Are you carrying stuff right now that you need to put at the foot of the cross and leave it there? You know, this church here, you know, let me tell you what we, what we buy a lot of. We buy a lot of Kleenex. <laughs> Reggie's saying it. We got boxes of Kleenex everywhere. We buy them by the cases. And I thought to myself, what a, what a tribute, what a testimony to a church. You know, some churches you go into, it'd take anything just to get one little tear to trickle down somebody's cheek. But listen, I've learned something about Southside. More often than not, the altar is always filled. The cross always has people seated there praying. And you know why? Because we're trying to bring stuff to the altar and we leave it there. But let me tell you what most of us do. We don't leave it there. We pick it up and take it back. Now, let me ask you one more thing. Are you trying to pronounce something dead in your life that's not dead? Have you given up on a hope or a dream? Have you given up on a relationship? Have you given up on a marriage? Have you given up on a grown child? Have you given up on the possibility of ever getting your education and ever making anything out of yourself? Have you given up all your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, and right now you're just surviving life? Just get me through the day. And Jesus Christ is saying these words. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm not through with you yet. When we saw that woman at Target, she had, one of the daughters told us, said, we'll go ahead and tell you, she's got this cap on, it's an ice cap, and mom's trying to hang on to her hair. We looked at that mother and told her this, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's not through with you yet. So whatever hope or dream or ambition that the enemy would slander and tear down and beat you up with, the reality is, is that Jesus Christ is saying to you and I, he's saying, listen, it's not over with. It's not over yet. But let me tell you this before we pray. If you're not a Christian, 
If you haven't repented of your sin and given your life to Jesus Christ, then my friend, you have no hope. Your education doesn't mean anything. Your job opportunities don't mean anything. Your marriage, it could be the best marriage in the world, but it doesn't mean anything. Your children doing well in life right now, that doesn't mean anything. Because unless you and I are invested in the kingdom of God, unless we have Jesus Christ living in our hearts, listen, all our efforts are waste and they're not worth nothing. I want so bad, and we've done it. Mark Shepherd, Mark Shepherd helped me when I did a series called, Did Your Marriage a Work? You're a wreck. Uh, is your marriage a wreck? Mark Shepard got me two wreck cars, put them out in front of the church. And, and Therese, we had WLBT, where she's going to work at. We had every major news network here in this church because there were two wreck cars out there with a big banner that said, is your marriage a wreck? You remember that, Mark? Well, Mark, I've got a new one. Can you get me a hearse so that I can put a U-Haul on the back of it? I want an old-timey hearse with a U-Haul on the back of it and say, you've now seen it. Because what does everybody say? I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You know what they're saying? You can't take it with you. Well, that's right if you're living for the world. You know, Steve Harper, I saw Steve this past week and he looks so broken. Need to pray for Steve. But one time I was preaching and I said, I married her. I married her, this woman right here, to advance the kingdom of God. Now, I had this boy and that boy, that girl, and one down there in Wesson. I had my children to advance the kingdom of God. My grandsons, 16 of them, grandsons and granddaughters, are here to advance the kingdom of God so that when I'm dead and gone, the enemy still has to deal with my legacy. I got my education all the way to a doctorate not just to put a DR in front of my name and not to be filled with pride or anything else, just to advance the kingdom of God. Everything that you and I do when we give our life to Jesus Christ, listen, it begins to advance God's kingdom, and that's what God wants to do in your life. But it requires that you come, you give your life to Christ, you settle your salvation and begin to live for Him. We're going to pray. Reggie will be here, I'll be here, Ledge will be here. Sheila's here at the front. If you're here today and you're struggling, you need somebody to pray with you. You're hurting right now. You need a decision. You need to make a decision. They look this way. What better day to make a decision than Easter? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. That in the fullness of time, the Bible says that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we seen these videos that have reminded us from Adam and Eve that dear Lord even in the very beginning the Bible says that one day the hill of man will bruise the head of the serpent that one day the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ would forever disable our enemy so that he has no nothing to hold over us not the power of sin and death because we've been set free Lord I pray today for those that may be wavering between a decision, they need to come, repent of their sin, and say, Brother Reggie, Ledge, Jeff, or whoever it may be, I, 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 need, I need to be saved today. I want to live for the Lord. There's some that need to come to this altar, and they need to spend a moment and just say, Lord, this is a new beginning, a fresh start.
Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, help me to walk this out. It's painful right now. But Lord, take my hand. Walk me through this. I'm going to lean and rest on you. Lord, there's some things that people need to leave at this altar. Lord, there's some hurt and there's some unforgiveness. Lord, there's an old bitter spirit. There's some things that have been hanging on to me. I've been wounded, Lord. And the Lord Jesus says, I know that. But why don't you come and leave it here at this altar? Say on Easter, Easter 2019, I'll never forget it. I left it there. And every time the enemy brings it up, you'll immediately say, I left it at the altar. It's back over at Southside in the sanctuary under the blood of Jesus Christ. So Lord, speak to us and we'll give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.